Peace be upon you. So when I was a kid, I got my first translation of the Quran, and it was that of Yusuf Ali. And I remember trying to read this translation and just how difficult it was. For those who aren't familiar, Yusuf Ali translations written in Old English. And this somehow became the de facto international translation for the Quran for many, many years. Uh, recently, there's been a lot more modern translations. But what I found so fascinating was not only that it was so hard to read, but it was blatant with errors, obvious errors, that anyone without any understanding of Arabic could realize that this wasn't correct, that there was an error in its translation. And it's not at fault of Yusuf Ali per se. When Yusuf Ali first created this translation was in 1934. His intention of creating this translation was to provide a way for the Indian Muslim population which he was from to learn English by means of the Quran. The problem I have is that millions of individuals and you know countless scholars and imams and uh, so many people have written commentary and tafsir about the Yusuf Ali translation, yet they have not fixed these blatant errors. So God willing, in this episode, I want to go through 10 of the most common mistranslations in the Quran. And I don't believe you need to know Arabic to understand the Quran. And God in the Quran tells us in Surah 2 verse 146, this is, Those who receive the scripture recognize the truth herein as they recognize their own children, yet some of them conceal the truth knowingly. God is informing us that the, the, the believers will recognize the truth as if they recognize their own children, meaning that it becomes obvious to them. It doesn't need to be explained to them. This is part of their being. And God tells us in the Quran, in 41:44, says, if we made it a non-Arabic Quran, they would have said, why did it come down in that language? Whether it is Arabic or non-Arabic, save for those who believe it is a guide and healing, as for those who disbelieve, they will be deaf and blind to it as if they are being addressed from far away. God is informing us that the language is irrelevant. That if someone is a true believer, that once they hear the words of the Quran, and I'm not talking about in a foreign language, in their own language, when it's translated for them, they will see the truth herein. You know, one of the misconceptions people say, they say, oh, look, uh, I'm a native Arab speaker, therefore I understand the Quran. And these individuals who make this claim don't realize that the Quran is only accessible by those who are pure in heart. That it doesn't matter if you're a scholar in Quranic Arabic, that if you study the Quran your entire life, if you are insincere, you will never be able to access one verse of this book. Yeah, you'll read it. Yeah, you'll think you understand it, but you won't understand the depth of what God actually intended. And I hope to prove that in this talk today. And this has to do with the first mistranslation. And God willing, I'm going to go through 10. The first one is this very point. In Surah 56, verse 79, many people mistranslate this. And since I started talking about Yusuf Ali, I want to pull from his translation. In his translation, he says that this indeed a Quran most honorable in a book well guarded, which none shall touch but those who are clean. What he's done here is he's making the, the verse into a commandment that no one is allowed to touch the Quran except that if they are clean. And he's opened up this whole can of worms where now people believe that you have to perform ablution before you uh, touch the Quran, that if a woman's menstruating, she's not allowed to touch the Quran, and all this nonsense innovation. The way this verse should be translated, it's a, it is, this is an honorable Quran in a protected book. None can grasp it except the sincere. It has nothing to do with cleansliness of the physical body. It has 100% to do with cleansliness of the heart. This word, the Arabic word, mutaharuna, 
It means to be clean, but in this context, it means to be purified. Those who are pure in their heart. Notice this verse is not a commandment. It's not saying there's nothing in this verse that is indicating that one needs to perform ablution or to be physically clean to read the Quran. Yusuf Ali is twisting this translation to come up with this interpretation. Now, it's not his fault. Maybe he just genuinely made a mistake. What about all these countless individuals, these scholars, these imams, these uh, people who claim to be knowledgeable on the subject? Why haven't any of them fixed this error? If you look at the Arabic, it's so blatantly obvious. It's la, which is not. Uh, yamasuhu, which means to touch or to grasp. Illa, except uh, al-mutahrun, those who are pure, those who are sincere, not just clean in the physically sense. Now, again, you don't need to know any Arabic. If someone presented to you these two interpretations, and you say, okay, in one interpretation, it means that you have to go and physically wash yourself, that if you're menstruating or whatever, you can't touch the Quran. The other one is saying you have to be pure of heart. It becomes blatantly obvious which one is the right understanding. And this is what it means, that you don't need to know Arabic to understand the Quran. You need to be sincere. That's all it takes to understand the Quran. All these individuals, for years, you're talking 1934, this translation was around. They have not been able to identify and correct this mistake, this blatant mistake. Now, it's not just the Yusuf Ali translation. There's countless other ones of modern translations. You look at the Clear Quran, the Study Quran, uh, the other Pitchel, uh, Shocker, these other translations, rampant with errors. And I'm going to pick one. Now, the Clear Quran is a, a relatively new translation, has a lot of uh, accolades, a lot of people talking about it. But again, there's numerous rampant errors that are so obvious. And I want to talk about one that's so critical as part of the reason of why they're incapable of understanding the Quran. In Surah 17, verse 46, this is from the clear Quran. And it says, And we drape veils over their hearts to prevent them from understanding it, and heaviness in their ears. And when you mention your Lord alone in the Quran, they turn their backs in aversion. Now, on a surface level, that sounds fine. What's, what's uh, controversial about this? When you mention your Lord alone in the Quran, they turn their backs in aversion. It makes sense. But this is a complete blasphemy of the translation. And I'll explain to you. The Arabic is not, if it was your Lord alone, it would have been Rabbaka wahdahu. This is not what the Arabic says. The Arabic specifically says Al-Quran wahdahu, as in the Quran alone. Meaning that the proper translation of this verse is we place shields around their minds to prevent them from understanding it and deafness in their ears. And when you preach your Lord using the Quran alone, Al-Quran wahdahu, they run away in aversion. Now, why is this such a big deal? It's because God is emphasizing that when we preach, we use the Quran alone. We don't use hadith, we don't use sunnah. These things are actually condemned in the Quran. The only hadith we have that we are to follow that came from the Prophet himself is that of the Quran. But because these people are perverse, because they have this baggage that they want to hold on to, they are not able to access the Quran and they deliberately twist its translation to deceive the mass. Because mass, the people are going to read this and they're going to see nothing wrong. They say, what's wrong with mention of your Lord alone? The reality is that is not what the Arabic says. This expression, Allah wahdahu, occurs six times in the Quran. This is not one of them. This is in reference to the Quran alone. And anyone who has the slightest understanding of Arabic understands this. Now you'll see some crazy explanations about Arabic grammar and this and that, and this is comical because they know Arabic grammar is, is used today, the modern standard Arabic, is not the Arabic of the Quran. The Quran is its own form of Arabic. Anyone who comes to you and says, look, I'm a native Arab speaker, I know the Quran, 
immediately flags should go up because they're either lying to you or they're ignorant. The Quran is its own style of Arabic. It's 1400 years old. To put this in perspective, English, you go 400 years back, you have Shakespeare. You give a college-educated person Shakespeare, and how much of that do they really understand? You go 1400 years back from modern English we have today, you, you end up with Latin. Now, the gap isn't as big in Arabic, but it's just as vast in the sense that, look, the, the language that's used in the, uh, the Quran is not used in modern Arabic. The grammar that they use today in modern Arabic was designed 200 years after the, uh, the revelation of the Quran. And many times the Quran doesn't follow that. I remember when I first started studying Arabic, I was pulling all these modern standard Arabic sources and I was getting frustrated because I'm reading the Quran and I'm saying the Quran does not follow these guidelines. The Quran is written in its own style. In order to understand the Quran, you have to read the Quran itself. God will teach it to you. So some people, they use this argument, they say the grammar shows that it's your Lord alone and not the Quran alone, but these people are flat out liars. The Arabic word wahdahu occurs six times in the Quran. Five of these times, it's always in reference to God because it says Allah wahdahu. In 1746 is the only time where you'll see it's Al-Quran wahdahu, as in the Quran alone. These other occurrences of Allah wahdahu, you can see it for yourself, is in Surah 60 verse 4, Surah 40 verse 84, Surah 40 verse 12, and um, Surah 7 verse 70. And in, if you read Surah 39 verse 45, it gives us more light to what's going on here. Surah 39 verse 45, it reads, When God alone, Allah wahdahu, is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion, but when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. These individuals, they're not satisfied with God alone. They're not satisfied with the Quran alone. They want to mix God's words with their previous erroneous understandings. And by doing so, they twist the word of God to try to appease their previous understandings so that they can continue using hadith and sunnah and these things that are condemned in the Quran. The only hadith we are to follow is that of the Quran alone. The only source that we are to preach with is that of the Quran alone. The second we go to these other sources, we show that we're not satisfied with God's words. When we think that we have to mention another source beside God, it shows that we're not satisfied in worshiping God alone. God tells us in 39.45, says, When God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. Are you offended when you hear, La ilaha illallah? Or do you feel compelled that you have to add Muhammad's name to the sacred shahada? Because it continues as, but when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. These individuals, they worship the Prophet. They include his name against his will in their shahada, in their salat. And by doing so, it shows that they don't believe in this Quran. They don't believe in his message because his message is complete. It's fully detailed. And if you have any doubt about what I'm saying, that these individuals are twisting the translation of the Quran because they have this hidden agenda, Look at the translation of 3945 from Yusuf Ali. So everywhere else where it's Allah Wahdahu, he translates it as God alone. But this specific verse, he translates it the following. It says, when God, the one and only, is mentioned, the hearts of those who believe not in the hereafter are filled with disgust and horror. But when gods, other than he, are mentioned, behold, they are filled with joy. He could not bring himself to say when God alone is mentioned. And it's not just him. It's not just this one individual. I want to emphasize thousands of scholars and imams and individuals who graduated from Al-Azhar University have looked through this translation and not one single one 
pointed out this flaw or corrected this, that it's not God the one and only, it's God alone. Because when you say the one and only, that means that there should be no problem mentioning anyone beside God. But when you say God alone, it shows that we should be content not putting any other name beside God. And obviously, this conflicts with their shahada of Ashadwan la la lillallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Because the shahada, according to God, the angels, the knowledgeable, in Surah 3 verse 18, is that there is no other God beside He. La ilaha illahu. That's it. The second we add another name to our shahada, we are basically flagrant of this uh, verse, where we're only satisfied when someone else's name is mentioned beside that of God's. And this is a good segue to the next mistranslation. And this is in Surah 48, verse 9. This is a very subtle mistranslation. The way that they translate this verse is, is that you people may believe in God and His Messenger and reverence Him and observe Him and glorify Him day and night. Now the question is, is this Him in reference to God or to Muhammad? Because if you put it as a capital, then it's in reference to God. But if you put it as a lowercase, then it's in reference to Muhammad. And I'm going to pull from a very popular website, Quran Corpus, that people believe is the de facto of the word-by-word -word translation of the Quran. And there's so many blatant errors in this website. In this translation on Quran Corpus, they believe that the hymn is in reference to the Prophet. They say, and you may honor him and respect him and glorify him but by doing so, they're setting up a partner next to God. The hymn in this verse is 100% to God alone. And it becomes blatantly obvious for someone who is devoted to God alone that the only one we should reverence is that of God. The only one that we should observe is that of God. The only one we should be glorifying is that of God. If we think that this hymn is in reference to the messenger, it shows who our allegiance is. Because the messenger himself 100% of his allegiance was to God alone. God tells us in the Quran that we should glorify God day and night. And by twisting this translation to make the hymn, as in lowercase h-i-m, in reference to the prophet, it shows, look, these people are not sincere. You know, they're twisting God's revelations to extrapolate a certain understanding that creates numerous contradictions in the Quran. So God willing, let's look at the fourth example of a common mistranslation in the Quran. And that has to do with Surah 22, verse 15. So I'm going to pick another translation. This one's from Pitchell. Again, this is another popular translation that you see, and it's written in Old English. So I'm going to try my best to read it. It says, Whoso is wont to think through envy that Allah will not give him, Muhammad, victory in the world and the hereafter, and is enraged at the thought of his victory, let him stretch up to the roof of his dwelling and let him hang himself. Then let him see whether his strategy displeaseth that whereat he rageth. Now, why would you need to use rageth and displeaseth is beyond me. But what he is interpreting is that someone who has any uncertainty about God being able to support them, that they need to hang themselves. They need to go and kill themselves. Again, you don't need to know one word of Arabic to realize that this is probably an erroneous translation. So what is the proper translation of 2215? It should read, if anyone thinks that God cannot support him in this life and in the hereafter, let him turn completely to his creator in heaven and sever his dependence on anyone else. He will then see that this plan eliminates anything that bothers him. This is such a vastly, I mean, you read that translation, it just makes sense. 
And it's so vast, like how do you get from killing yourself to in essence severing your dependence? And you can understand how these mistranslations come to be. And God willing, I'm gonna link, I'll show you at the end, how you can verify everything I'm saying, every verse, every word, to see for yourself, is this the proper translation or not? And to retain in this theme of senseless killing, <laughs> attributed to the verse of the Quran, the next verse of the uh, that's commonly mistranslated is that of Surah 2, verse 54. So for backstory, the context of this verse is that this is after uh, Moses went, he got the commandments, he came back, he saw that the children of Israel were worshiping the golden calf. So I'm going to pull from Shakr's uh, translation. This is uh, Surah 2, verse 54. When he writes, this is, And when Musa said to his people, O my people, you have surely been unjust to yourselves by taking the calf for a god. Therefore, turn to your creator. So kill your people that is best for you with your creator. So he turned to you mercifully, uh, for surely he is off returning to mercy the merciful. Just off the bat, again, these are just like horrendous translations. They barely make any sense. But... The takeaway from this is that God is commanding Moses to go and kill himself, or co uh, some people they translate this as go and kill the disbelievers. More senseless killing. So what's, what's going on here? The proper translation of Surah 2 verse 54 is recall that Moses said to his people, O oh my people, you have wronged your souls by worshiping the calf. You must repent to your creator. You shall kill your egos. This is better for you in the sight of your creator. He did redeem you. He is the redeemer most merciful. This word nafs, or specifically in this verse, nafsakom, which is your nafs, uh, it has multiple meanings. So what does nafs mean? Nafs can mean yourselves, or it can mean your souls, or it can mean your egos. If you apply the definition of your souls or yourself to this, you un end up with the understanding that God is commanding Moses to go and kill himself, or go kill the disbelievers. Though, keep in mind, the word disbeliever does not occur in this verse. This is something that they add to try to make sense of what they're reading. But the aspect of an ego, this is what caused us to go astray. This is what causes people to disbelieve. When we place our personal opinion above that of what God commands us, that's our ego playing an effect. And this word nafs also means ego. We see this in Surah 2 verse 87, just a few verses ahead. It says, is it not a fact that every time a messenger went to you with anything you disliked, your ego caused you to be arrogant? And again, same word, nafsakum. You could say yourselves cause you to be arrogant, but that the aspect of the self is the ego that is causing one to be arrogant. So what Moses is doing is commanding to go and kill your egos. This is what's better for you. Not to go and kill yourselves, not to go and shed blood. This is not the interpretation. But it's sad that people, they read this and they think that this is what God is commanding. But by coming with, accepting such an understanding, it shows that they're insincere, that there's something missing there. How could the most gracious, the most merciful have such a commandment? You know, we should think better about our Creator when we read these mistranslations. And now let's look at the sixth mistranslation. This is Surah 38, verse 44. This is probably one of the most heavily mistranslated verses uh, out there. And when you read the backstory of what they think this means, it's, it's sad. It's just plain sad. So this is from the clear Quran's translation. It says, Take with your hand a bundle and strike with it, and do not break your oath. We found him patient. What an excellent servant. He was obedient. And I forgot to mention this context is in the sake of uh, Job. Job was telling God that uh, the devil has afflicted me and God relieved his ailments. So the hardship that he was facing and God is telling Job, uh, according to the clear Quran, take with you your hand, a bundle and strike with it and do not break your oath. So when you read the tafsir of what this verse means, 
what they'll tell you is that, oh, Job, in his rage when he was suffering through those ailments and hardships, he cursed his wife and promised that when <laughs> he was of good health, if he ever was, he was going to beat her. This is their understanding. This has no basis whatsoever in the Quran. This is what they understand. And they think that when it says, uh, take with your hand a bundle, you'll see that in some translations, they say a bundle of grass. So therefore, according to their tafsir, they believe that God commanded Job to beat his wife with grass. So then this way, he's maintaining his oath and his wife is in harm. Now, it's this kind of interpretation and understanding that makes a mockery of our religion and of the Quran. Anyone with two brain cells can automatically detect that this is not a correct understanding of the verse. So what is the proper translation for this verse? The proper translation is now you shall travel the land and preach the message to fulfill your pledge. We found him steadfast. What a good servant. He was a submitter. Again, without any knowledge of Arabic, if you just read these two, two translations, you'd realize one doesn't make sense. One is contradictory, especially when you read the tafsir about what this is supposed to mean. The other one, it makes sense. It, it, it doesn't have any contradiction. doesn't sound anything that you know should be raising any uh, red flags. So what's going on here? What's causing this mistranslation? When you look at the Arabic of the, uh, uh, the verse, the word that's getting misconstrued is the word digran. Uh, this word, it comes from the root when you have grass that's mixed together. Now, the error that people are making is that they're taking the grass as what this root means, as opposed to the action of being mixed or confused or muddled together. And we see the same root is used two other times in the Quran. One is in 1244 in the understanding when the, uh, the advisors were trying to understand the king's dream. They said nonsense dreams, you know, hallucinations. We don't understand what it is, that it's confusing to them when the king is telling them their dream. The other one is in 21.5, where again, the context is a muddled or a confused dream. So the action for this root, uh, is that it's something that's mixed up or confused. So God is telling Job to take those who are mixed up and confused. And it could, the next word is fadirab. Uh, fadirab could mean to strike, which this is where they get most of the translation from. But it also means two other things. Uh, this word means to, to travel because when you walk, your feet strike the ground. And also it means to set forth as an example. And you'll see this word used in this context in Surah 3 verse 156, in Surah 17 verse 48, Surah 25 verse 39. And there's more examples, but it's to show that, look, you could either read this verse as in God is commanding Job to go and take a bundle in his hand and to strike with it. Or you can read it in the sense that God is telling Job to take those who are confused, those who uh, are muddled, and uh, travel the land and set an example to preach to them. These two understandings are vastly different from one another. But obviously, one corresponds with verses of the Quran. It doesn't create contradiction, doesn't create uh, anomalies. While the other one is just like you have to go through this weird understanding that God is telling Job to beat his wife with grass because, you know, he doesn't want to cause harm to her. It's, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. And um, this is a good point. This is a good transition to the seventh uh, mistranslation. And we did an entire episode about this. When we read the Quran... If we have an understanding of a verse that creates numerous other contradictions in the Quran, it's important that we refine our understanding because the Quran has no contradictions, meaning that the misunderstanding isn't in the verse of the Quran, it's in our understanding. And this is, has to do with Surah 2, verse 106. 
If you read the clear Quran or numerous other Qurans, what they'll say, they say, we never nullify a verse nor cause it to be forgotten unless we bring one better than it or is similar to it. Do you not know that God is capable of all things? This concept of abrogation comes from this verse, and it has to do with it just a blatant mistranslation. They believe that in the Quran, some verses abrogate other verses, meaning that you follow some, you disregard some, and God condemns this. We either accept the Quran in every verse, everything it says, it's a complete book, or we reject it. God mentions those who accept only the Quran partially. We don't want to fall into that camp. So if you have this translation, it makes you think that, oh, you, you're only to accept a part of the Quran, that you disregard part. But this word that they're mistranslating is ayat. Now, ayat, it means verse. We use it in common speech all the time, but consistently in the Quran. More often than not, when the word is used, it is in the context of a miracle or a proof. That is what God uses when he uses the term ayat. We have taken this word and we've modernized it to mean exclusively verse, but that's not how it's used in the Quran. You can check. Surah 13 verse 27, Surah 14 verse 20, Surah 54 verse 2, Surah 21 verse 91, Surah 20 verse 22, and God willing, again, I'll, I'll uh, put a link out there for you to verify every single one of these. Everything that I'm saying is going to be fully verifiable. This word consistently in the Quran, it means a proof or, uh, or a miracle. By using that selective emphasis towards verse, you extrapolate a meaning that allows for abrogation. The way this verse should be translated is when we abrogate any miracle or cause it to be forgotten, we produce a better miracle or at least an equal one. Do you not recognize the fact that God is omnipotent? You know, if you understand this to mean that God is going to nullify verses of the Quran and uh, supplement those with additional verses, meaning you follow some of the Quran and disregard some, then you've created numerous contradictions in the Quran because God is telling us that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed. We need to accept every single verse of it. We can't accept it only partially, that we would be acting like the hypocrites and the disbelievers if we were to do that. So it's important that when we come to an understanding, that if our understanding causes contradictions of the Quran, we reassess our understanding. And you can see this in the next verse. This verse is so foundational to the Quran. It summarizes so much of what it takes to make it back to God's kingdom. But it's completely neglected by the Muslim masses because it contradicts their belief and their understanding. And rather than accepting what God says in the Quran, they want to twist the translation in order to accommodate their erroneous beliefs. The way this verse is, uh, should be translated is, Surely those who believe, those who are Jewish, the Christians, the converts, anyone who believes in God, believes in the last day, and leads a righteous life, will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. God is telling us that if anyone, irrespective of the name of their faith, irrespective of their background, their religious creed, if they abide by these three commandments, they believe in God, they believe in the last day, and they lead a righteous life, they're guaranteed to make it to paradise. Now, if you read uh, common translations, the way that they get around this, because again, for them, they believe in this concept of abrogation. This is from Sahih International. It says, indeed, those who believed and those who were Jews or Christians or Sabians before the Prophet Muhammad, those among them who believed in Allah on the last day and did righteousness will have their reward for uh, with their Lord and no fear will be there concerning them, nor will they grieve. What they do to twist this is they're saying that this verse only applied prior to to Prophet Muhammad. But the irony is that this is in the Quran. 
and they put everything into the past tense where the Arabic is not written exclusively in the past tense. And by translating it in such a way and adding this before the Prophet Muhammad, it makes it seem that this verse no longer applies. And you see these subtle ways that they twist and they uh, manipulate the translation to extricate a certain meaning to correspond with their disbelief. And by doing so, it shows that they don't believe in God. They don't believe in the hereafter. They don't believe in these words in the Quran. And now for the last two uh, mistranslations. And it's the same word that's mistranslated twice. It's in Surah 38 verse 5 and Surah 50 verse 2. And this is from Yusuf Ali again. It reads, So they wonder that a warner has come to them from among themselves. And the unbelievers say, This is a sorcerer telling lies. Has he made the gods all into one God? Truly, this is a wonderful thing. So why would the disbelievers be claiming that the messenger who made their gods into one god would be a wonderful thing? You'd think that they'd be turned off by this. Uh, we see the same translation in Surah 50 verse 2. It says, but they wonder that there has come to them a warner from among themselves. So, uh, so the unbelievers say this is a wonderful thing. Now this word that's being mistranslated is ajibun. Ajibun comes from ajib, which means something that's wondrous but also strange. So the proper translation for these is the disbeliever said, a magician, a liar, did he make the gods into one god? This is really strange. And in 52 would be, they found it strange that a warner from among them came to them. The disbeliever said, this is really strange. So <laughs> this is one that's more subtle than the others. But again, it's just, it's to show that, look, it's not about these uh, individual one-off mistranslations. It's the fact that these translations have been so heavily vetted. You know, so many thousands of scholars and imams and, you know, professors and stuff have poured through this. And they've utterly failed in so many of these regards. Some of them are deliberate. Some of them are to mislead the masses, to extrapolate a certain meaning. And those who are pure, those who are sincere, those who trust in God wholeheartedly, devoted 100% to God, they will see the truth irrespective of what schemes these individuals conjure up. So as I said before, I want to give you guys something where you can verify everything I said. You can look at these verses for yourself, look at the Arabic without any understanding of Arabic, and be able to piece together if what I told you is correct or if it's false. I launched a iOS app. It's entitled Quran Study Word by Word. I went through the entire Quran, every single word, and I translated it to show that why these translations are erroneous. And it started because I was using Quran Corpus in the past and I was just dissatisfied with how many times they were twisting the translation or they were just wrong in their translation. So if you go on the iOS app store, you can see this. It's called Quran Study Word by Word and you can download it, check it out for yourself. God willing, I'm going to do a video to walk through how this tool works, but this is something that you can verify again, every single verse I discussed, everything I said, that if I told you the truth or if I was lying. For those who don't have iOS, I just launched a uh, website. It's called QuranStudyApp.com. Again, you can go there and look at every verse. You can look at the Arabic word by word. You can check the roots. You can see the meanings. You can see how that word is translated throughout the entire Quran. And you can decide for yourself if this is the right translation or not. But for those who aren't interested in the Arabic, if you want a solid translation of the Quran, one that doesn't contain any of these errors that I discussed, it's that of Rashad Khalifa. His translation, by far, it fixes all these errors. If it wasn't for God's inspiration to him, we would all be in the dark on these regards. Because through God's inspiration, he showed us these valuable insights into the Quran. And his translation, by far, is so much better than any of the other ones that are out there. Many of the other translations, they try to mimic where, uh, where it benefits them with Rashad's translation. And then in these regards where it contradicts 
their personal beliefs, their upholding of Hadith and Sunnah, they use their own translation. So these, this is what I'm leaving you with. You can go to the iOS App Store. You can download the Quran Study app word by word. You can go on QuranStudyApp.com to see it online. And definitely look up Rashad Khalifa's translation. You can find that at MasjidTucson.org and see it for yourself and verify that this is actually the truth. This is the message that God intended for the masses. This Quran is meant for the world. It is not meant to be limited to those who speak Arabic. Anyone who's sincere, anyone who's pure of heart has access to this book and God will open up their heart to present it to them. And this is something that's becoming inaccessible to these Muslim ulama, these Arab scholars. And God has prophesied in the Quran in Surah 47 verse 38. It says, if you turn away, he will substitute other people in your place and they will not be like you. This Quran is no longer limited to these individuals who've monopolized it who claim that, oh, you have to have a you know PhD in Arabic to understand it. The, the, the carpet is swept from underneath them. Now anyone, anywhere in the world can verify it for themselves. They can look, they can analyze, and they can come to a consensus that this word is the word of God. So again, the app is on the iOS app store. You can find it by searching Quran study word by word. And uh, if you want to go to the online uh, tool, it's QuranStudyApp.com. Again, QuranStudyApp.com. And for the translation from Rashad Khalifa, you can go to masjidtucson.org. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at krontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.